Great. Thanks so much, Abby. Um, we're in our third week now. If you're just joining us, we're in our third week now of taking a look at the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And what we've been saying over the past few weeks is that Proverbs is seeking to make us into wise men and women. And that wisdom in and of itself is something different than being moral and good, that uh, being wise is something that's different than being intelligent. We also said that wisdom is skill in the art or skill in walking in God's ways in God's world. That it really is something learned, that it is something that is practiced, and that it is something that is oriented in a particular direction. Now, the past couple of weeks, we've touched on uh, sort of big picture issues, but this week we're going to begin uh, looking at specific topics for the, really for the rest of the semester that the book of Proverbs touches on. You probably guessed already from what we read that we're going to look at today the topic of the heart. And the heart is essential in the book of Proverbs. Why? Because unless you understand what the book of Proverbs is actually going to tell us about the heart, you won't be able to understand what the book of Proverbs wants to say about every other area of life. Put it simply, if you don't understand what the book of Proverbs is trying to tell us about the heart, you won't understand Proverbs and you won't understand the Christian life and you won't understand yourself, believe it or not. So that's why we're going to look at the, book of, uh, the topic of the heart today. Let me, let me ask you a question before I pray. Um, have you ever wondered what drives your life? That's a really big question, I know. But why do you do the things that you do? Or you might ask it this way. How can I get the life that will bring about my greatest joy and happiness? And I would like to suggest to you tonight that the text that we read, we just read, that Abby just read, will illumine these very questions to us. And so in light of that, let me pray and ask God to help us to understand his word to us. Lord, you have said in your word that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so we bank on that tonight, that that's the sure thing for us, not our, not our um, moral record, not our uh, deepest feelings. Lord, not the works that we've done, but rather that you have spoken and that you don't lie when you speak. And Lord, we're asking tonight that you would do what only you can do by the work of your Spirit, and that is to come and illumine Jesus to us and make his beauty shine, to put him on display in ways that our hearts would just be captured by him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, there's an artist named Sandra McCracken, who song we just got through singing called um, uh, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. She has another song. I love it. The, the title of it is called Desire Like Dynamite. And uh, that song is, wonder, is a wonderful capturing of what we want to talk about today. It makes, it makes you do things, that is desire, things that you didn't think possible. In fact, it can make you do things that if you think about them, are actually quite foolish. And I want to share a little bit of a story with you about an unnamed French man. Uh, several years ago, he and his girlfriend broke up. Actually, she dumped him. And they were living together before they broke up. And he had made several improvements in their apartment where they were, where they were living. But now she, post-breakup, uh, was living in it. And now the challenges of sort of cohabiting, co cohabitating notwithstanding, the situation brought about something crazy out of this man. He so wanted, and here it is, here it is, he so wanted to be thanked for the, way, for the work that he had done that he barraged her with phone calls and with texts. Over a 10-month period, not lying on this, 
He called her on an average of 73 times a day and texted her over 21,800 times in a period of 10 months. All for what? To just be thanked. When she blocked his calls, he began to call her parents and it got him in trouble with the law. Now listen what the man says. At the time, said the man, my logic was that until she returns the money or at least says thank you, I would not stop the calls. He later admitted, quote, that was stupid. (laughs) Now, what do you make of this, right? Besides that, it's a little cray-cray, okay? And the cray part of the interesting thing about the story, what would drive him to such craziness? I don't know about you, but I've done crazy things in my life. Things I look back on and I go, what the heck were you thinking, Anderson? What was driving you to do this sort of stuff? And what about you? Have you, upon further reflection, ever examined something in your life that didn't seem rational, something that you never thought or that you even wanted to do? And you ask yourself, why did I do that? You see, it it can be one of the most maddening things about human beings is that we do things that don't make sense. Or, as Thomas Merton, the author, once wrote, why do we do the things which are just the opposite of that for which we were made for? Why do we do the things? And I'll tell you why. Because desire is like dynamite. Because desire is like dynamite. We come tonight to look at what the Proverbs says about the heart. A topic that appears some 95 times in it. The heart is part of us as human beings, but it's likely not what you think that it is. And moreover, we're going to be able to, we need, if we're going to be able to walk with skill in God's ways, in God's world, then we're going to have to know what the heart is and how it works. And maybe, most surprisingly, you might come tonight to know something more about your very self. Here it is. Here's what the text is going to tell us that our hearts need to be wise if we're going to flourish in God's world. Yet, we don't have the power ultimately to do that. And so wisdom comes to us first as a gift. And that thankfully, God in His grace in Jesus provides all that we need to be able to find the good life and to flourish as individuals. So I want to take you tonight to see this one thing. I want you to see this one thing over and over again. You capture the heart you capture the person. If you capture the heart, you capture the person. So the question is tonight, how do we grow in wisdom of heart? And I think it's underneath three headings that we can sort of adjust this tonight or come to terms with it. And that if you want to become wise of heart, you're going to first have to know the heart's power. Secondly, the heart's vulnerability. And then lastly, the heart's healing. So hopefully by understanding more about it, will move away from a life of ruin and more, move more toward the good, the true, and the beautiful. So let's take a look, first of all, at this idea of the heart's, of the heart's power. I want to show you guys, just for starters, what the heart actually is. Because if you don't know what it is, you won't understand the connection with what I mean when I'm talking about what it's power. Now, in the Bible, when Proverbs is talking about the heart, it's not talking about your cardiac muscle. Okay? It's not talking about the thing that pumps blood through, through you. That's not what it's talking about. And it's actually also not talking about what you probably think that it's talking about. When we hear the word heart, we think emotions or we think feelings. 
You know, think about a story like this. When we say, oh, Kate, I mean, she just got dumped by Matt and her heart is broken, right? We typically mean that that's her emotions, that she feels sorrow, that she feels sadness because of the breakup. But no, in the Bible, the heart is something entirely different. And unless you understand what this is, you won't understand, like I mentioned earlier, what the Proverbs are talking about when they talk about the heart. When the Proverbs talk about the heart, they are talking about the very center of your desires and wants. You see, it includes, hang with me, it includes the intellect. It includes the emotions and feelings. It includes the will, that part of us that chooses. It's the interior life, and all of these things go together. When you hear heart, you have to begin to think, yes, even intellect and knowledge. That's the way the Bible's talking about us when it talks about the heart. So it's not just emotions. It is emotions, but it's also mind and will and trust combined. For example, take a look at on your sheet here at verse 423. Take a look at it, what it says there. It says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. That's telling us something. Much like a spring, right? If you've ever seen a spring, it has a source that comes up out of the ground and that from it flows water. What it's saying is, is the heart is that source of water for all areas of life. And that's why I'm drawing the connection by saying it's the heart itself. It's the interior life that drives, that motivates, that directs all that we are as human beings. That's what the heart is. But you need to also look at this. You need to look at what the heart directs, what it, what it touches on when it's in action, so to speak. And look at these different verses here that I've tried to include in this sheet here to try to give you some sense of this. Look at these verses at what the heart touches on or directs. First of all, we see a cheerful face and a crushed spirit from verse 15 and 13. Do you see it there? A glad heart makes a cheerful face. So even the body is being affected by the heart right? And by sorrow of the heart, the emotions right there in 1513. Look as well, this idea of the seat of knowledge and understanding, that is the mind in verses 420 and 21. And you see it again in 1514, the heart of him who has understanding. So the heart is connected with understanding and with seeking knowledge. You see this as well in 161, the idea of the planning part of us, the part of us that trusts. Did you catch it there? It says this, the plans of the heart belong to a man. So it's the course that our, our, our life takes. That's all part of what the heart is. And then lastly, in 3.5, maybe the most famous of the verses that we read, that trusting in the Lord, that it's the heart is the part that gets our trust. How do we sum all this up? Well, I would like to say it like this, that the heart is the control center of the person. I love what Tim Keller writes in that book that we're helping you got. We want to put in your hands when he writes this. He says, the heart is the seat of your deepest trusts, commitments, and loves from which everything flows. What the heart most loves and trusts, here it is, the mind finds most reasonable, the emotions find most desirable, and the will finds most doable. That's a profound statement because what it's saying is the heart touches on all aspects of our lives. The power of the heart. So how is all of this giving us wisdom? What you need to see is that the real thing driving us, hang with me, is not so much your thoughts. It's not, it's not logical 
to barrage somebody with 2,000 text mess, 20,000 text messages. They got, that was stupid. Why did I do that? Because what led him into that? Because something greater was at play, y'all. His heart was driving him. He wanted to be thanked. He wanted that attention, as it were, right? And I want to say this, that what you need to understand is, is the heart is touching on the deepest parts of us. And the heart is the source of these desires. Think about it this way. You are basically one big ball of wants and desires. That's, that's really all you are. You are, you are one big, your interior life is one big want or several wants. It's a ranking of wants, as it were. And whatever is getting pole position is what you're going after. Think about it like this. If success is at the top of that list, you'll go after it like mad, right? Your resume matters. You might step on people who will get in your way so that you can have the success that you want. You might even give your heart over to your studies very, very diligently because you need to be at the place of success later on in your life. If you want the approval, as it were, of guys or of girls, you'll do anything to get it if that's the thing that's taken the top desire of your heart. You'll watch what you eat. You'll exercise. You may give yourself physically over to them. You'll order your time for their approval and being noticed. Why? Because your desire has become like dynamite. It's that powerful. Now, here's one on TCU's campus that I see that I talk about a lot with students. And I'm sorry to kind of get in your mail on this, but it's true. On TCU's campus, it is seen as a badge of honor to be as busy as possible. To be seen as being as busy as possible is very, very important in the life of the TCU student and to committed to many things. But do you think how this desire has power over that person? Think about it. It comes along with stress, right? I mean, involvement with 10 organization actually takes time. But it comes along with what else? With loneliness. Because what else? After all, if you're so busy, when do you have time for investing relationships with friends? A competitive spirit might come along with it too. Others are gunning for what you want as well. How can you be sure that you'll get it and they won't? That desire is driving all aspects of your life. And those are just some small examples. We could multiply this a thousand times over to show you that it's your heart, it's your desires that are driving you. My point is this, that desire and not so much our thinking, not so much our feeling, is what drives us. We always do. You can write this down. You always do what you most want. You will always do what you most want. I don't care what you tell me. I love the illustration that I've heard before. A man gets a gun pulled on him, right? Man, the robber says, give me, give me your wallet, right? The man gives him his wallet. And he might say, see, I don't want to do that. I want to keep my wallet. What are you talking about? I, didn't, I did something that I did not want to do. Ah, 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 ah. You wanted to keep your life more than you wanted to hang on to 20 bucks. And that's why you gave him your wallet. You will always do what you most want. That's what this text is showing us. A key important thing for us. Now, I want you to see this. The heart, no doubt, has incredible power over the entire person. It controls their entire being. But as we're about to see, even the heart itself can be shaped. That even the heart itself is directed or driven by something. So the heart is not absolute, says the Proverbs. The heart itself is actually controlled by something else. And that brings us now to the second point that I want to show you. Not only have we looked at the heart's power, 
We want to look secondly at the heart's vulnerability. Take a look with me at Proverbs 12.20. It's on your sheet there. Listen to what it reads. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. This text is telling us that the heart is incredibly complex and nuanced, right? 12.20 is showing us that the heart can actually be deceptive. So it is not, therefore, absolutely good. It can be greedy, the text tells us other, at other points, Proverbs tells us. It can be envious. The heart, the Proverbs say, can actually rage against God. What does all this mean? Why am I putting this all together? The point is, is this, that if the heart can both trust God and can be rage-oriented towards Him, you must see that the heart is not steady. And in that sense, it is vulnerable. It can be directed. It is vulnerable to forces outside of itself. And what we're going to see in just a second is that the heart itself is always being impressed or being pressed upon by our very habits. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But take a look at 423. It says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Or as another translation puts it, Guard your heart. A.K.A. the theme of Christian daters everywhere, right? (laughs) So what does that mean? What does this mean for the way that we understand the heart? What it means is this, that as powerful as the heart is for directing our lives, it too is directed by forces outside of it. It means that we should look at our lives and ask this question. What is influencing my heart in this moment? The heart is susceptible to both wisdom and folly, righteousness and wickedness. It can be oriented to life and death. And we need wisdom to properly discern this and orient it rightly. And it means, therefore, that the Proverbs and the rest of the Bible, here it is, that you should be a lot, lot, lot more suspect of your heart than the culture tells you to be. The, cult, the, the culture says what? Follow your heart. Do what your deepest desires tell you. If you feel it, find a way to live it out. And what the Bible says is this. That's dumb. That's folly. Don't do that. Because your heart is likely being impressed upon by something else outside of it to orient it in that direction. I'm going to talk about this in just a moment very specifically. Listen to what Prophet Jeremiah says, and you can show this as well, Brittany. He says this about the heart, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, just think about that the next time you decide you want to follow your heart. That's what this is saying, okay? Let me show you this, how this works out practically. Um, how, that is how the heart is vulnerable to whatever practices or habits are impressing in on it how it's being shaped by the the decisions that we're making. I was talking with a student not too long ago, and she was mentioning how that when conflict or when difficulty arose in her life, her gut reaction was to run away. Okay, so conflict avoiders, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you don't like conflict, it's going to parachute out of here. And as we talked, we noted that each time that she decided to run away, that this practice was actually doing something to her that it was changing her in the moment. It was making her really good at something. Do you know what she was getting really good at? Running away. Avoiding it. Avoiding conflict. She was becoming an expert in it. And so as we began to talk about this more and more, we began to see how her heart was being shaped by her habits and practices. So as we talked, I said, 
How do you think that you'll become a woman who doesn't run away when conflict arises? Because you know when you're older and when you're married and when you have kids, you're not going to be able to run that far. She said, well, I want, if I want to become the sort of woman who faces difficulty and conflict in my life, I guess I need to practice staying. And as we talked about how there was grace for that, we began to see that she was right. Listen, our culture says, for you to be truly you, for you to find yourself, go into your heart and express the deepest longings that are, that are in it. They'll become, then you'll become who you want to be. And the Bible, especially the Proverbs, says the opposite. It says this, ask yourself, what sort of person do I want to become? Then consider and think about the habits and the practices of that sort of person. And then begin to take up the practices of that person in the here and now. And guess what will happen over time? You'll become a man or woman that you desire to be. Why? Because your heart has been molded like clay to love that thing. Do you see how that works? It's amazing. Because what you're learning is about your, you're learning about yourself. You're learning about how your heart actually works. And the Proverbs is telling you, not only does the heart have great power, but the heart itself can be shaped and molded. It can go in different directions. And you need to, therefore, what? Guard your heart. Keep it with all, watch how it is being shaped, is what the Proverbs writer is saying. Maybe one way to drive this home is to give you a few diagnostic questions to say this, that guarding, isn't, guarding your heart isn't so much about dating. I mean, it might apply some, of course, but instead it has everything to do with keeping a close watch over what is currently capturing your desires. What is capturing your heart in this moment? And how do you know? I got two diagnostic questions for you. Ready? One. What captures your imaginations and daydreams? When you just find yourself thinking about life, what do you want? That's telling you a little bit about, about your heart. That's what's shaping it. And secondly, you can look at this. Where do you spend your resources of time and money? In other words, go to your Venmo statement, okay? And just look at where your money is going. And then go to your calendar and see where your time is going. And that will tell you what your heart is going after. Little diagnostic questions to help you. I'm not proud of what my calendar says. And I'm not proud of what my bank account says either at all points because, you know, I'm still a man in process just like you guys are as well. Here's the heart of the, of the point I'm trying to make. The heart, our desires control us, no doubt. The question is, what is driving our hearts? What is controlling us? And are they paths that lead to life? Or are they paths that lead to death and ruin? Remember, the Proverbs want to make us wise. And so this is where I think it really comes home to our hearts tonight. So where is the hope for us? Where is there encouragement for those of us who know the vulnerability of our hearts? And that really brings me to my last point, the heart's healing or the healing of the heart. Now, here's what I want you to see. The constant refrain of the Bible is that our hearts are busted and bent. They don't operate as they once did and as they ought. You might remember the story, right? God had made man and woman in a perfect world to live in fellowship with Himself. And all was well. All was perfect. But what happened? 
they decided they decided that they would trust in their read of what was true. They decided that they would trust in their read of what was good and of what was beautiful. And as you know, when they did, what happened? The world crumbled and began to fall apart. And ever since then, then there has been a battle going on in our hearts. That's what Proverbs 3, 5 is telling us. Listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart, option one, and do not lean on your own understanding, option two. Either our trust is going to be in the Lord or in our own understandings of things. And you're always either doing one or the other. And that's the battle that's been going on, on in our hearts. Or our might say, more appropriately, for our hearts. But the proverb knows it. Look at 20 verse 9. It says this, the question comes in this way, the last verse there. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Rhetorical question that answers in the negative. Answer, no one can say that. No one can say that. And when we look at 3.5 and we contrast it in two ways, we see that we can put our trust in one of these two areas. And my point is that I'm trying to get you to see is, is that no one's heart is as it should be. And therefore, the battle rages on between trusting in ourselves and trusting in the Lord. And we need our hearts fixed. I love what the psalmist says, that our hearts are divided. Psalm 86:11 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Here it is. Unite my heart to fear and honor your name to fear your name. That's amazing. Our desire has, our desire for him has to come alive. One has to die and one has to live. And here's what I want you to see. Where will this healing come from for our hearts? We'll take a look at verse 12, 25. I just love it, y'all. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Do you see that? We need a good word, something from outside of us, not right feelings within us. And here's the thing, when the Bible talks about a good word, it's saying it needs a true message, a good and true message. And here's the thing, do you know what the substance of the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel itself literally means? A good word? It literally means the good news. And what is that good news, y'all? It's this. That God has come to do something to fix our hearts. That He is the one that comes in and reorients us. Think about what He says in one part in John chapter 7. He says, out of His heart, anyone who trusts in Me, anyone who trusts in Me and believes in Me, out of His heart, out of her heart, will what? Will flow rivers of living water. And what is the work he came to do? Y'all, this is so crucial. If you do not understand Christianity, if you're someone who's investigating it, please hear me loud and clear that the gospel tells us that God came to rescue failures. Men and women who can't protect their heart. Men and women who let their hearts run after a thousand other lovers. That God comes and rescues us. And he comes and stops us dead in our track. And he does something amazing for us. And why would He do this? Why would He do this for us? Well, He would do this because of His profound heart for us. That He would give up His life so that we might have it. 
And in so doing, he promises that living waters will flow out of ours because he actually gives us, listen to this, new hearts. You see, the promise of the gospel is not so much that God came to fix our hearts. It's that he came to give us new ones. That's the promise of the prophet Ezekiel when he says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see what this is saying, dear friends? This is saying that God gives us new hearts themselves and that they're hearts that actually delight in obeying and walking with Him. Do we still sin? Absolutely. Do we want to? No way. Jesus didn't come so that we just might have a license to sin however we want, but He came rather to change us and to meet us right where we are. And when we look at this, when we look at this death for us, when we stare at that, when we bow down and worship at Him because of it, we get lost in love and wonder and praise. Our hearts get captured by this beauty. And so, you capture the heart. You capture the man. I close with this. John Donne, the great British poet, wrote a series of 19 holy sonnets where he pours out his heart to God. And a very famous one, holy sonnet number 14, speaks of Dunn's desire to be so possessed, as it were, by God's love for him that no other thing would even be allowed to enter into the equation for capturing his heart. He tells of having his heart mastered by sin and self, God's very enemies, and listen to how the sonnet reads. I'll try to read it in a little, with a little bit of meter here. He's talking about himself. He says, "But am, but I am, so saying, but am betrothed unto your enemy." In other words, I'm engaged to your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free nor ever chased, except you ravish me. Boy, I love that. Do you see what he's saying? The true freedom, the true life, the hearts oriented rightly, come by being imprisoned to God's love for us. And that when our hearts are that way, when you capture the heart there, you capture the man. Done and ultimately the Proverbs wants us to know the same thing that Jesus Christ has come into this world as a lover servant. He has given His heart to us that we may be His forever. And that by being His, we are truly free, truly ourselves. And once we see this, we've got power to give our lives away in true service to others and to the world. Has your heart been affected or pierced by His heart for you? It's true. And I just want to say it's an offer for you tonight to take. It's an offer for you tonight to receive that God might love you this way. Take it and live. Let's pray. Amen.